Good morning and happy new year, family. Turn to John 17, if you would. It has been truly an amazing year so far. And um, I am just so thankful uh, for God's faithfulness to us. Um, we as a family have gone through uh, quite a bit in, uh, in growth and um, still more things to come, I will tell you. Um, we are excited about the business meeting coming up and we're work I will tell you the constitution team is working diligently to work through that document um, and everything in that document will be supported with a scripture. So um, I think you're going to be very pleased with it, um, the diligence and the work that we've been putting in. So be prayerful about that. It has to be biblical. It has to be consistent with God's word. It is not and will not supersede the word of God, but it will absolutely support the word of God and help us to uh, govern as a church uh, the way the word says we should. Um, in addition to that, we have gone through now what, six weeks on prayer, and we are finally at the end. And I, I will tell you, I, I, I really enjoyed this message and really enjoyed just reading through and studying this. And um, I hope that when it's all said and done, you will walk away with a deeper understanding of prayer and the importance of it. Um, so let's pray and let's jump in. Father, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness and goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. To you be honor and glory forever, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, you have given us and have prayed for us uh, all that we need. Um, and Lord, I pray that as we, as we walk through the ending of this prayer, that we get the importance of what you're saying through it. There's a common theme, a heartbeat of this prayer, and it reveals your heart for your people. And it reveals your the heart of your purpose. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, we're going to go through a little bit just to kind of refresh you, since we've been off this for a little bit, two weeks now. Um, the doctrine of prayer is a means of grace offered according to the will of God expressed in accordance with his word. Prayer is the language of the soul an opening of our hearts before God, John Calvin. Prayer reveals our heart. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with God's will, Matthew 26, 36. Prosukamai is the word used. Pros meaning to be to come near or to come before. Ukamai meaning to pray or to will. Praying is not an isolated spiritual exercise as if we pray and we live in two different components. The truth of the matter is we live as we pray and we pray as we live, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. As I've said previously, that this prayer in chapter 17 is broken up into three divisions. It's divided into three parts. The first part of the prayer, chapter 17, 1 through 5, Jesus prays for his glory and the glory of the Father. These five verses are about the doxadzo, to make renown, render illustrious, to cause the dignity or worth of a person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. 
specifically to doxadzo of the Godhead. In John 17, 6 through 9, Jesus prayed for the disciples who were given the task to continue the ministry of reconciliation. He prays that they will doxadzo him, which in turn doxadzos the Father, that they will make him renowned um, through the gospel, and that they will continue in the word and deed of, uh, of the gospel. And that is verses 8, 14 through, and 14 through 19. In John 17, 20 through 26, Jesus prays for the believers, all to come after the disciples, which we are among them. The same promises given to those who walk with him are ours also. The same doxadzo that Christ prays for himself, the Father, the disciples, and all those after, for all of you and for those to come, is your doxadzo. Christ is made renowned through our lives, and as a result, we bring him glory as he glories in us. So, I want us to just oversee this little bit of John 17, 13 through 19, so we can kind of understand why he says what he says in 20 through 26. So verse 13 says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The world has pursued them with hatred, and the world detests them. And the same hatred and and detest that the world had for the disciples, the world has for me. Now, this world, this this word um, that's coming up, I want you to pay attention to it. It says, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Pretty simple. This is not your home. This is your journey. Then he says in verse 15, with an absolute negative, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep, that you tend carefully, that you guard, that you shepherd them. He's talking to the Father from evil. That's the translation there. The translation, Paneros, is not evil one. There are a couple commentaries that say, based on, based on a, I think, historical, based on some references to the evil one uh, and how they use the word evil, uh, that some of the commentaries would, would say that it's talking about Satan, the evil one. The problem is it doesn't fit the context of the prayer. In all of the prayer, he says we're not of the world, just as he's not of the world. The world hates us. The world detests us. And then all of a sudden he just out of the blue says, keep them from the evil one. That's not, that makes no contextual sense whatsoever. But there are some translations in, and some of the other commentaries that say it's actually evil, which makes sense. 
Because when you read the Lord's Prayer, um, it means the same thing. That He would keep us from hardship and harassment and trouble and perils of faith. So that's where it is. Keep them from evil, not keep them from evil, the evil one. How do we know that? Because not only does he say we're not of the world, then turns around in the very next statement after he says keep them from evil. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So context clearly states that this is evil, not Satan. Sanctify them in the truth. The word is truth, which is interesting and supports my idea continually in this idea of it being evil. Why? Because the only way to overcome harassment and hardships and trouble and perils of faith is to be in the truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The only way to go into the world in con with confidence is to know that God has your back. So, as we move into the last part of this wonderful, beautiful prayer, you kind of understand why he says this for those to come. This is that part where he's praying for those after the disciples for us and for those to still come. First principle number one, the electing work of Christ is for the gospel alone. I want you to get this very important statement. Without the election, the doctrine of election, there is no gospel. You're like, well, that's a definitive statement. It is. Because the whole point of grace is to give to un give unto a person something they do not deserve, nor can they earn. Has nothing to do with your ability or your thought or your brain or your free will. It has everything to do with God and God alone. That the work of the gospel of Christ concerning the electing work of God, it's for the gospel. It makes the gospel sure. Jesus prays for his own so that the world may know that he alone is the Savior of his people. John 17, 20 through 21 says this, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their word. How do we know that? For faith comes from hearing and hearing that of the word of Christ. That's what this means. That the gospel being preached will bring the gift of faith to the heart of the elect. Now, verse 21 says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So there it is. The electing work of God is a direct result of the gospel alone. So I think you're going to start to see the theme here. What's interesting about verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these alone, but for those who will believe. I like to clarify, right, by taking out 
a definitive statement and showing you another definitive statement within this. I do ask for those who will believe in me through their word. So not only does he not ask for the disciples only, but he specifically asks for you. Interesting. Verse 22 and 23. Principle number two. Jesus prays for our conformity in him and our unity of the faith. He prays for our conformity in him and our unity of the faith. Just as Jesus and the Father are perfectly united, he prays that we too will be united together in him, in his glory for the gospel. Like, How do you see all that? Here it is. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. First, first thing you need to notice here, the word glory is doxa. It's the root word for doxadzo, right? But this word is doxa. Now this word doxa literally means perfect inward or personal excellency of Christ. The perfect excellency of Christ or the personal excellency of Christ. The majesty of Christ. Now let's let's read that a little differently so we can kind of understand what he's talking about here. Because ultimately what we do know is that he has predestined us before the foundation of the world to be conformed into the image of his son. That's the whole point. That's why he's praying this. That the doxa of Christ will be in us because he is excellent. The glory that you have given me, the personal excellency, the perfect inward excellency, the majesty that I have that has been given to me, I give to them. And that they may be one even as we are one. That the whole point of the glory of Christ in us is so that we would be united together with him according to his word and his gospel. Here we go. That they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Now I want you to hear this. That they may become perfectly one. I in them and you in me. What scripture is this? What doctrine is this? This doctrine is called eternal security. That if we are in Christ and Christ is in the Father, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither death nor life nor anything else, no angel nor demon. We are in Christ forever. And Christ says, not only are you in me, but you are in the Father, which is in which I am in, because you are in me, I am in him. That's like a double lockdown. I mean, it's kind of hard to break to, to, to get rid of that, isn't it? So why do we avoid this issue of eternal security? This is not a statement of once saved, always saved. This is a statement of once truly converted, you will stay converted and you are his forever. There's a difference between once saved, always saved. It's a Baptist, Baptist statement. How do you know? Because I was a Baptist. Where I got ordained. 
then God taught truth. Oh, there it is. So, I am I and them and you and me, and they may become perfectly one. How in the world could God's people be perfectly one when they can't even get agree on anything now? Well, here's the answer. This is what causes us to be perfectly one as he and the Father are one. So that they so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. What's that called? The gospel. You wonder why the church today is not united? Why we're not one? We can't even agree on the simple reality of the gospel. That the God of all creation put on flesh, died on the cross, was buried and rose again on the third day. No. We got a message of say this prayer, welcome to the family. We can't agree on anything. To be honest with you, I listened to a message. <laughs> you know, I have to say something. I listened to a message this week, and the gospel was narrowed down as a Hallmark movie, like if, like if it was a romance. I'm like, are we serious? Have we really lost the point of Christ, the God? who created you and died on the cross. It's not a romance novel. It's not a Hallmark movie. I mean, let me get off the soapbox. Oh, boy. We wonder why we can't be united. We can't be united because you can't unite on one thing. The importance of the gospel, which is the most important thing. Because you know why? We're not being conformed into the image of Christ. We're trying to we're trying to make the church in the image that we want it to be. We're conforming the church in, into their own image. It's one of the reasons why I'm so thankful for the men that we serve with, that I serve with. Committed as believers, brothers to the gospel. Christ paid for his church. It's not my church. It's his church. Principle number three. Jesus prays that his his people will be with him where he is. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. John 14, 1-3. Listen to this statement. In one verse, Jesus in one statement in his prayer summarizes everything that I just read. For I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be, where, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Man, that's literally one verse, one statement. And what do we get? A whole mess of doctrine. The doctrine of election, 
the doctrine of, of eternal security, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of the second return of Christ, or the coming of Christ, sorry, the second coming of Christ. Oh my goodness, so much here in this one little verse. This word desire, first of all, I want to clarify here. Thelo or Thelo. This word is not desire as you guys would think desire to be. This is not something that I, like, I desire, like, my wife, right? This word desire literally means to be resolved, determined, or to purpose. Now, Father, I resolve, determine, and purpose that they, meaning us, whom you have given me, meaning he gave us to him, not that you gave yourself to Jesus. Maybe with me where I am, that where he is, that we will go also. Why? So that we may see his glory. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. What an amazing statement. Can you see all those doctors that I just mentioned in one statement? That his resolve, his determination, he has determined, he has purposed that we will be with him. Wow. Reminds me of Bible verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 concerning our gathering together to him and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know I have no need to write you. In other words, this is a guarantee. What an amazing thought. Fourth principle, Jesus prays that the gospel will richly dwell in his people. The gospel declares the Father's love of Christ and Christ's love of the Father that his people may know the love of the great God and King. John 17, 25, 26. Now I'm trying to say this word. I studied it last night and I, I was pretty confident that I remembered how to say it because I'm not really good with pronunciating Greek. Pater means father. <laughs> I'm so scared to say it. It's going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin it. Dekios. Dekios. I think that's how you say it. Dekios. I'm hoping I said it right, Lord. Please forgive me if I didn't because it totally lost my brain and I can't even remember how to say it. No, it's so terrible. Anyway, this word literally means, oh, righteous father. The father who is the perfect judge. So this word, dikios, means perfect judge, passing just judgment on all. Now, when you see, when you read this, oh, righteous father, what it means is the father who judges rightly. Now, think about that. Because he right, right after that statement, he says, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. You are the one who judges 
perfectly. Even though the world has rejected you, doesn't know you, doesn't want you. You, in your righteous judgment, have given me people that do know you. Why? Because these know that you sent me. Who? Us. How do we know? How do we know that Christ was sent? How do we know the Father? How has Jesus made the Father known to us? Through the gospel. Here it is, verse 26. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. Isn't that interesting? How is Christ going to make the Father's name known? And continue to make the Father's name known through the work of the gospel. Look at this word, the word that. This word that means intent or the purpose of or the result of. How does he make the name of God known? Through the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The gospel again. What's the theme here? What is the common theme of the end of this amazing prayer? His final declaration is that the world may believe, verse 20, verse 21, that the world may know, verse 23, that I made your name known and that I will continue to make it known, verse 26. For the gospel is why he prayed. For the gospel is for and to whom he prayed. For the gospel is what he prayed, his prayer of where he is and others and where we are going as a direct result of the gospel. How he prayed was for the gospel. The whole purpose of his prayer is not only to declare all the things that he just finished teaching them from chapter 13 all the way to 16, but to declare his purpose for them. The gospel. There is no other purpose for the church. That is her purpose. That is your purpose individually. So, let me clarify what I read to you earlier. Prayer is a means of grace offered according to the will of God, expressed in accordance with his word. Prayer was the language of his soul, an opening of his heart, before the Father. Prayer reveals his heart or revealed his heart. Prayer was about aligning himself with the Father's will. Prospukamai, to come near and to, and to pray according to the will of the Father was his purpose. Prayer is not an isolated spiritual exercise as if we pray or we live in two different components. The truth of the matter is we live as we pray, we pray as we live. Jesus did pray as he lived and lived as he prayed. Wonder why we struggle with our prayer life. We've made prayer out to be a ritual instead of a moment of worship and aligning ourselves. 
It's one thing to go and pray and just say things because we feel like we have to. It's another to come before a holy God and go, Lord, I just want to be, I want to be in line with you. I want to know you and your will according to your word. I want the words that I speak be according to your word. Not what I want, but what you want. Prayer is so, so very important. What do we remember out of all of this past six weeks? That when we look at the model of prayer, we see Jesus' model, even in John 17, except for one part that he gave us in the model that's just for you and I. And let me explain it to you. Exaltation and prayer, praise, verse 1 through 5. Surrender, the I am in you and you are in me. Your kingdom comes, is the idea. Ask, he prayed for his disciples and he prayed for you. He calls us to repent. Jesus didn't need to repent. So when you read the Lord's Prayer, it's not really the Lord repenting. This is God's model of prayer. It's the only thing in this particular prayer that is for you and you alone. Because you cannot align your will with God's will until you deal with the issue of your sin. Petition. That we would be kept guarded from evil. Petition. And lastly, it's all according to your name. God is exalted and praised. There is that beautiful little model that Jesus did in every prayer. Very simple way to pray. So I pray that you have enjoyed this series of prayer, that you will commit to aligning your will and your heart according to his word. I know that if you do, you will be blessed. Last statement. Jesus prayed. Jesus did pray as he lived and lived as he prayed. Father, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are the God of all creation, and there is none like you. Thank you for these amazing doctrines, the truth that is saturated through your prayer, the beauty of your prayer for your people, not only the disciples, but for the people who are, who are to come and for even for those who are going to come after us. Help us, Lord, to walk intimately in your word, to be consistent in prayer, and to honor you in all things in Jesus' name.